Hey everyone, you are listening to the official podcast of the Evangelical Free Church of Ken, where our mission is to glorify God, helping each other become mature disciples of Christ as we worship, grow, serve, and reach. your Bibles, and I want you to open up to the book of Galatians, all right? Galatians chapter 1, Galatians chapter 1, and uh, this is the second installment in our series through the book of Galatians, and um, one of the things we're doing structure-wise during this series is uh, rather than it just be me kind of up here talking, my goal is to kind of show you and walk you through a process to understand how do we go about reading and studying the Bible for ourselves. And so we're going to do that each week. Each week we're going to take roughly about two weeks per chapter through Galatians, give or take a little bit here, okay? Um... But we're going to be using a method that was developed by a guy named Howard Hendricks. And uh, I'm going to give you a little pop quiz here. Here is a hint of the method we're using. And we're going to see, I'm going to do this each week, so hopefully by the time we get through this, you're going to be able to just have it. I know what it is. So can anyone tell me what the first letter represents? What is that first step? Observation. Everyone say observation. What's the second one? Interpretation. Everyone say interpretation. And the third and last step is what? Application. Everyone say application. Okay. Observation, interpretation, application. That's the process we're going to use. And again, I'll preface this and say, each time we dive into this, there's no possible way that we can exhaust each one of these steps in the time that we have. So what you're going to see is you're going to see me do a little bit of all of it as we walk through these verses. And my hope is you'll start to pick up and as you think through, all right, how are we observing the text? How are we then going about interpreting the text? How then do we draw our application from the text? that you'll start to think through that when you're opening your Bible on your own, and that will start to take root and grow in you and your own ability to process through these. So, that's my prayer. And last week, we started in verse 1, and we went through verse 9, and I kind of fire-hosed you with all kinds of stuff. And we're going to try to make it through chapter 2, verse 10. So we're going to start at verse 10 of chapter 1. And you're going to understand why I want to make it that far as we get into the observation portion of this text. But let's pause a minute. We're going to pray, and then we're going to start into Galatians 1, 10, and we're going to read on observing, seeking to... Uh, Seek the Lord's direction and application as we unpack that together. Let's pray. Lord, I'm grateful for your word. I'm grateful for the time we can spend in it together. 
I'm thankful for the means we have, whether that be digitally or uh, in person, to be able to unpack these truths. And Lord, I pray that you, by your Spirit, would challenge us and show us how this applies to anything that we're doing right now. God, that you would help us to leave here uh, equipped with the resources we need to step into this week and encounter the struggles, the joys, the trials that we're going to face. We pray all of this in the name of Jesus. Amen. So I'm going to start, and uh, we're actually going to begin here at verse 10. So you can follow along in your own Bibles, and then as we go, you're going to see me pause a little bit, and I'm going to make some marks and some observations, and we're going to go through this together. So in chapter 1, starting in verse 10, it says, For I am I now seeking... The approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. Now, let's pause here for a minute, and we're going to make some observations right off of the top. Now, one of the first things I want to encourage you to start picking up on is how the, sen- how the verses in your Bible start. Because as tempting as it is for us, To take a chunk of scripture and stop and start at certain verses, we have to recognize that in these biblical epistles, which is uh, what these letters are, it's a, a big name for a letter, it is in fact a letter. Now, I don't know about you, but when I get a letter in the mail, I don't read to a paragraph and go, oh, you know what? I think I'm good for today. I'm going to stop. If you read a letter like that, come talk to me. I'm kind of concerned about you. Okay? Why, why do we, why don't we do that? We anticipate. What's, what's next? What is the person saying? What are they communicating to me? What's going on here? Well, we need to start adopting the same mentality when we come to a letter in the Bible. And if we don't, we run the risk of assuming that they're saying something that they're really not saying. We have to be very careful about this church. And in fact, there are many, many people who take verses and make them say exactly what they want them to say. This is where the interpretive element comes in, where we don't just observe what it says, but we interpret it in context. Everyone say context. It's very important. But one of, the, one of the strategies that we can employ is you'll notice, what word does verse 10 start with? For. For is what I like to call a transitional element. That is, for transitions as part of a broader thought. There's other transitional words. Can anyone think of other transitional words that we may come across? What would they be? Therefore. 
A very common phrase that some of you may have heard is if you come across a therefore, you should stop and ask, what is it? Ah, what is it therefore? Okay. What else? Uh, there's other transitional words. What, what are some other transitional words? If. What else? However. However is a big transitional word. Okay. Any others you can think of? Transitional words. So. Okay. And we could name many of these. Here's what I want to communicate, okay? Then, because, but is a transitional word. If we come across a transitional word, it should cause us to stop and go back. And in fact, you will find that many times when you read, especially in the epistles, the letters, you will go on and on and on and on until you hit the end of a thought. And that should cause us to make sure we're trying to understand this in the whole framework that the author intended, to de- intended it to be written in. We see the same thing in verse 11. There's a four. Okay? And you're going to see this continue. You're going to see this throughout the text that we're reading today. And so coming off of this, I'm going to summarize. When you start at the beginning of Galatians and you start seeing what is being said, Paul starts by saying, I'm an apostle. I'm an apostle, not by man, but through Christ. And then he comes off of that and he says, I am astonished. I'm astonished at you, the churches of Galatia, this region of churches, that you have so quickly deserted him who called you to the true gospel. And you are pursuing after another gospel. And then he says, not that there is another gospel, But there's people who are swaying you and distorting the gospel of Christ. And he's identified, I'm astonished by this. And then he goes on to bring about a condemnation or a judgment on those who would preach a different gospel. And he says two times, he repeats it and says, let them be accursed. The four in verse 10 follows that judgment and makes a statement. He says, for am I now seeking the approval of man or of God, or am I trying to please man? And this is a really profound statement. If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. Now there's a distinction here, and we see this through a repeated word. Am I seeking the approval of man or of God? Am I trying to please man? If I'm trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. There is a contrast here, church. There's a contrast here between someone who is pursuing a life that is serving man, humankind, and someone who's chosen to serve God in Christ. And just in this one statement, you can see that there is a distance, there is, there is a separation here that you cannot do both. You cannot be committed to serving mankind as your primary goal and at the same time say, I am a servant of Christ. It doesn't work. 
And then he goes on and ties this back to this whole idea of the true gospel. For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not, everyone say not, is not man's gospel. There's that word again. And why is it not man's gospel? Well, Paul's saying, I didn't receive it from any man. This is not a message that I received from any ordinary human being. Nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ Himself. Now, in each one of these sections, in the time we have, what I'm going to do is we're going to look at a section like this, then we're going to draw an application from it. Because I want you to see firsthand how this translates. Then we're going to do the next section. We're going to draw an application from it. So as we read these first couple of verses, here's the application point that we can clearly draw from the text of Scripture. Who we try to please slash serve influences the type of gospel we proclaim. Do you see that? Where Paul is clearly identifying... Am I a servant of man or a servant of Christ? I can't be both. I'm one or the other. The gospel I'm preaching, the gospel message I'm sharing to you is not something I was given by man. It was given to me by Jesus Himself. This is His gospel. This is His good news that I'm I'm proclaiming to you. Therefore, we can apply this in saying who we try to please or influence Who we try to please or serve influences the type of gospel we proclaim. What does that say about us? What does who we are and who we serve say about the gospel we really believe? And this was true for the church of Galatia. He called them out on it. I can't believe you are serving a different gospel. I can't believe it. What would Paul say to us as the church of Canton? Would the same thing be communicated? What does who we seek to please and serve say about the gospel we really proclaim? Now, he doesn't stop there. And in fact, we're going to read this next section, starting in verse 13. And you see there, what is the first word of verse 13? For, we're transitioning again, and it continues the same frame of thought. We come off of this in verse 12. This is a gospel is given through revelation of Jesus Christ. And in verse 13, it says, For you have heard of my former life in Judaism. Now, pause a minute here. What is this statement that he just said? What is it making? For you have heard. What, what is this statement making right now? Does anyone know? It's making an assumption. It's assuming that you have heard of my former life in Judaism. If you're in Bible study and you come across a statement like this and you gloss over it, you, need, you have missed a huge portion of Bible study. And in fact, when we come to something like this, I will often put a question mark there and go, have I heard of his former life in Judaism? 
Because if I don't know, then the rest of what he's about to say is going to be harder for me to understand. And all of a sudden, I need to stop and I need to look up Paul. Can I find anything out about this Paul guy that would answer this question? What was his former life in Judaism? And for you here, if you don't know the answer to that, I want your homework this week is to go read Acts chapter 9 and study a little bit about who Paul is. You could spend all week just finding out information about who this guy named Paul is. And if I come to that and I don't know, that's where I need to stop and I need to do some more digging. Okay? It's an assumption that you need to be able to answer. Now he goes on from there. How I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. Verse 14. And I was advancing in Judaism. This is a word that occurs several times. Beyond many of my own age among my people. So extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. But when he who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles. There's another word that's repeated several times. I did not immediately consult with anyone, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went away into Arabia and returned again to Damascus. Now, before I go on to the next page, understand everything marked here is something that I could spend significant time researching. If I don't know what Judaism is, I need to take a look and see. Judaism is the regulation and rule of practicing Jews in Paul's era. What did that entail? What did that look like? This goes directly towards what Jesus himself in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, spoke against with the Pharisees. So this is an integral part of the Scripture message in understanding what this is. Gentiles. If I don't know who the Gentiles are, I'm going to be very confused here. And to summarize this, the Gentiles were those people who were not Jews. It was all the other people, all the other nations that were not Jews. You were either a Jew or you were a Gentile in the New Testament. And there was a lot of conflict here. And if you research and study this, the conflict was because the Jews were convinced that they were the only ones who had a right to God's favor. And Paul comes along and he's bringing this message to the Gentiles. And there were some Jews that were pretty unhappy about this. You can't be teaching them this. They don't have the same right. And the battle between Judaism and the Gentiles was a biblical day race issue. That's really what it was. You are not of this bloodline. You don't deserve the same promises that we have. And there was this tension that existed throughout the whole of of the New Testament between the Jews and the Gentiles. The other thing we can spend some time looking at is you could look at places. Where is Arabia? Where is Damascus? Why are these places significant? Okay. Now, moving forward from there, in verse 18, it says, Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to visit Cephas. Cephas. We're going to mark that and come back to it. And remained with him 15 days. But I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. In what I'm writing to you before God, I do not lie. 
Then I went into the regions of Syria and Silica. There's two more places. And I was still unknown in person to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They only were hearing it said, He used to persecute us. He who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. And they glorified God because of me. Now, it's pretty easy to recognize Paul here is walking through his own testimony, his own story, and how this pertains to the gospel message he's proclaiming. Now, what's interesting about this is he encounters a couple of people here that are significant in this narrative. One is Cephas. Now, a lot of people may not know off the cuff who is Cephas. Well, it's interesting that you can jot this down in your notes. We find out who Cephas is in John chapter 1, verses 35 through 44. And in this, this is when Jesus is calling his first disciples. And it walks through Jesus the next day again. John was standing with two of his disciples and he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, Behold, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this and they followed Jesus. Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, What are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, where are you staying? He said to them, Come and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying and they stayed with him for that day, for it was about the tenth hour. One of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother Simon and said to him, We have found the Messiah. He brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. And what we find is Cephas means rock in Aramaic. Peter means rock in Greek. Cephas is Simon is Peter. You got that? <laughs> See? Okay? And the amazing thing is then in Matthew 16:18 Jesus makes the statement to Simon Peter, "On this rock I will build my church." So there's purpose behind all of this, but unless we stop and we say, "Well, who is this person?" We wouldn't know any of that. We wouldn't even see the significance here that Cephas, this individual that Paul comes into contact with and stays with for 15 days, is the same Peter who denied Jesus right before he was crucified. The same Peter who preached at Pentecost in Acts chapter 2 and saw thousands of people come to faith in Christ. And so understanding that here brings new meaning to the emphasis that Paul is giving to say, look, I am not just saying this is the true gospel. These guys were with Jesus in person and they are affirming what I am telling you. And it brings authority to the words that he is writing. Now, the application here from these One's past does not dictate their impact. God does. Paul just spent tons of time going through all of these reasons that they might have 
for questioning the validity of the message he's proclaiming. And yet affirmed and transformed by God himself. You see near the end of that, that they were saying, He who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy, and they glorified God because of me. God is in the business of using people who are not worthy to bring glory to himself. Paul is no exception to that. One's past does not dictate their impact. God does. And He can use any and everyone, no matter what the past looks like, to accomplish His purposes. Amen? The next section of this goes on. Then after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, taking Titus along with me. I went up because of a revelation and set before them, though privately before those who seemed influential, the gospel that I proclaim among the Gentiles, in order to make sure I was not running or had not run in vain. But even Titus, who was with me, was not forced to be circumcised, though he was a Greek. Yet because of false brothers secretly brought in, who slipped in to spy out our freedom that we have in Christ Jesus, so that they might bring us into slavery, to them we did not yield in submission even for a moment, so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. Now, what's interesting about this is he brings out several things. One, he identifies, I don't want to be someone who is running in vain. One second here. I don't want to be someone who's running in vain, so I'm going to be accountable to these other people. But notice also here that there is people slipping in to spy out their what? What is that word? Freedom. Everyone say freedom. Paul is so concerned that people are going back into a legalistic way of thinking. And he wants them to be reminded here of the freedom that they can only have in Christ. There's freedom in Christ Jesus. And we do not want them to bring us back into slavery. So therefore he did not yield in submission even for a moment. Now, realistically, we can easily allow things to become bondage and slavery for ourselves. Whether we realize it or not. And true freedom can only be found in Christ. Why is that? Because the bondage that we put ourselves in is, is the result of our human sin. It's the result of our own humanity and the sinful desires that I'm just pursuing after that have nothing to do with eternity. But they're completely rooted in myself. And it was no different here between the Jews and the Gentiles. And the people who were slipping in to spy out their freedom were no doubt Jews who were concerned that the law was being pushed to the side. And if we're not careful, church, we can easily step into the same patterns. And this brings about the application that the true gospel, everyone say true, the true gospel brings freedom. Legalism brings slavery. 
Legalism is anything rooted in our own checklist of ideas. Okay? And it's a hard line to find sometimes. But at the end of the day, the true gospel declares that you are saved by grace through faith and it is not of works. It's nothing you can do to be saved. It is a gift of God. Legalism says, God saves you when you do this. Here's the list of things. Follow this list and you're good. Don't follow this list and you're out. That's legalism. The Pharisees were professional legalists. And church, I'm going to tell you, we like legalism. Even if we look at this and we say, I, I don't like slavery, I don't like bondage. How do I fall into that? Because we like structure. We like things that we can control and order and anticipate and predict. If this season hasn't revealed that, I don't know what will. We like to keep ourselves in bondage. And I'm going to tell you, we are prone to continue to fall back into that over and over and over and over again. The true gospel brings freedom. Okay? And if anyone is preaching a gospel contrary to that of freedom in Christ, we need to go back to the beginning of Galatians. Let them be accursed. I need to have that mindset amongst myself. You need to keep me accountable to that. That I'm not preaching a gospel of legalism, okay? It's so easy to fall into those patterns. We have to be careful. We have to be alert. One God, one gospel. Be alert. Now, the last section of this brings about a commission for us. It's a challenge to the church at Galatia based in Paul's mission. And from those who seem to be influential... What they were makes no difference to me. God shows no partiality. Those, I say, who seemed influential added nothing to me. He's saying there, they didn't add anything to the gospel message I shared with them. On the contrary, when they saw that I had been entrusted with the gospel to the uncircumcised, this is in correlation with the Gentiles, okay? Just as Peter, Cephas, Simon had been entrusted with the gospel to the circumcised. Those would be the Jews. For he who, this is important, for he who worked through Peter for his apostolic ministry to the circumcised worked also through me for mine to the Gentiles. And when James and Cephas and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that was given to me, they gave the right hand of fellowship to Barnabas and me that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. Only they asked us to remember the poor, the very thing I was eager to do. Here's the application. Regardless of the people group, the focus is the same. Serve Christ by proclaiming the gospel. Gospel is good news. Everyone say good news. The good news is we aren't dead in our sin if we're in Christ. Apart from Christ, we are dead and hopeless, separated from God. And the truth Paul reveals here, the same Jesus who commissioned him as an apostle to proclaim the gospel 
amongst the Gentiles is the same God who commissioned His disciples, the apostles, to go to the Jews. And it's the same God who sent His Son to die for us that we could have life, but not keep that to ourselves, but go and proclaim that life to all people. Regardless of the people group, the focus is the same. Everyone say the same. That we would serve Christ by proclaiming the true gospel and that we would not fade from that, regardless of what culture says. My prayer, church, is that we would hold fast to that. That we would not become like the church of Galatia and fade from the true gospel to allow external false gospel influence to shape who we are. And that we would take seriously the commission given to us to take this gospel message together to our community and to the uttermost parts of the earth. Amen? Amen. I'm going to ask the worship team to come and we're just going to commit this to the Lord and pray for His leading for us as a people that we would root into these truths and He would be the one glorified in it all. Father, I'm so grateful that you are a God of grace and mercy because as we are challenged by these texts, uh, God, I recognize how easy it is for us to lose sight of that purpose. God, to even prioritize specific people and write others off. God, may we be aware of our tendencies to put ourselves back into bondage and may we come out of that and walk in the freedom given to us in Jesus. God, we worship you because of who you are and because of who you've revealed yourself to be. We commit this to you in Jesus' name. Amen.